Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our new website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello, Trojan fans, and welcome to episode number 216 of the Peristyle Podcast. Today is April 9th, 2012. We've got a great show for you this week on the podcast. We're going to talk some recruiting with uscfootball.com national recruiting analyst Gerard Martinez. We've got a lot of recruiting questions this week. He will get to each and every one of those a little bit later on in the show. We have Coach Harvey Hyde coming up. In this first segment, he's going to talk about what happened at the Coliseum over the weekend, USC's final scrimmage before the Trojan huddle, which is the final spring practice of 2012 USC spring football. Uh, We'd love to get to your questions. We have a bunch of them today. If you have any questions or comments you want to talk about the show, drop us an email, podcast at uscfootball.com. That's the easiest way, or we'd love to hear from you. You can call us at 206 888 6755, leave a brief message and we will play it on the podcast. You can also go right to peristylepodcast.com, click on the left side of the page and leave us a voicemail there. And as I mentioned, we're going to have Coach Harvey Hyde the first segment. He's on the line right now. Coach, thanks for joining us. What's going on? Well, everything is just great. You've got one more week of spring practice, and I know the kids are looking forward to this week because normally during the week before you have your spring scrimmage, uh, you let up just a little bit because you're cautious. You don't want anybody to get hurt. You want them to be really – their legs not tired before you scrimmage again on Saturday. And I don't know. I'll tell you, this last Saturday, it was hot in the Coliseum, but the forecast for this coming weekend, Ryan, I don't know if you've taken a look at it, supposed to be possibly a little rain. So we're going to have a little Oregon weather here <laughs> for the Trojans so they can get ready for uh, Oregon, if they go up there, uh, I don't think they go up there. They play here at Oregon, but uh, yes. maybe they go up to Washington, don't they? Yeah, they maybe go up Maybe it'll there. rain up there a little bit. And <laughs> they'll have an opportunity to try everything out in the spring. For sure. And uh, hopefully the weather doesn't it doesn't rain and, and some of the fans can get out there and enjoy uh, a scrimmage to end spring football. Uh, we're going to get into that. I want to talk about what you thought of the scrimmage on Saturday, but I just wanted to thank our sponsor for Southern California Tickets. If you go to sctickets.com, that is their website. You can check it out if you need tickets for any kind of sporting event here in Southern California or across the country. If you want to go to the theater, concerts, stuff like that, they have tickets for that as well. So definitely check them out. Uh, give Tell Curtis that uh, Harvey Hyde sent you over there. He'll hook you up for sure. And Coach, uh, I guess Fans didn't need a ticket this last Saturday. It was free for the scrimmage. We saw maybe a thousand people out there or so, but it wasn't as long as what we saw before. And they they kind of changed the way they were doing things a little bit. Maybe you can explain that. Well, I think first of all, it was getaway day. The kids were thinking about the Easter Bunny and getting home and enjoying a, a little bit of fun with their family, the ones that lived nearby. So uh, I think they what they wanted to do is two things: allow the kids a, a lighter day, uh, avoid injuries accomplish what they're trying to accomplish and then at the last minute I did not realize this but they did not have an all-out tackling scrimmage so it's uh, a little bit different uh, because it's very difficult for all of you out there that have played football it's very difficult to gauge that speed 
where you both accomplish a lot of things because there's always one guy that goes a little bit harder than the other guy. The lines are supposed to be full go, uh, but no tackling as far as on the backs and receivers and quarterbacks, obviously. So, it's you know, you're, it doesn't help you with your timing. Let me put it to you that way. Everything seems to be a little bit off. If you notice the routes are a little bit off, uh, the velocity sometimes of the passing is a little bit off. Uh, one guy might go harder when the other guy's not ready and he comes through and disturbs and messes up the play. So it's, it's a difficult thing to have a scrimmage without tackling. So... Um, we used to call it thud. We used to call it a thud tackling. Would you go over and thud the guy, but you didn't bring him to the ground? I think they'd use that a lot in the NFL, and they use it a lot in college. We did because we used to practice against aprons where we got a lot of movement and so on from the defensive linemen, and uh, we didn't really allow any type of you know chop blocking or anything in, in the interior of the line. So you're trying to accomplish. Uh, everything, but it's difficult to make it the same picture to the quarterbacks and to everyone that it is when it's a full scrimmage. But I can understand their objective. They didn't want to get anybody hurt. And uh, I wish it was a full scrimmage because I would have been able to evaluate this Buck Allen kid a little bit better. Not sure if he ran through there as, as easily as it assumed when we watched him run through there, but I was very surprised with his efforts on Saturday. There were good things. People swarmed the football well, and I think they got the most of what they were trying to accomplish without getting anybody injured. For sure, Coach, and uh, we, did, we did get to see a few new faces. I know uh, part of the reason could be with the injury to Trey Madden. I think that kind of brought some people down a little bit. I mean, I know even the beat writers were talking to you. Everyone was kind of bummed out. He's such a nice kid, and it was fun to watch him make the transition from linebacker to uh, running back, so he wasn't available. But what they did do, they did let Matt Barkley participate, unlike the previous week. Uh, we did see Marquise Lee back. There wasn't any track meet or anything, so he was out there. Uh, Devon Florian was was missing. He got hurt on Thursday, so there were still only two scholarship wide receivers, which obviously that doesn't help the quarterbacks all that much. And we did see a couple of tight ends. Junior Palme was out there and Randall Telfer. So it did change up a little bit. There were a few more skill guys. It was kind of spread out a little bit more evenly. And then, as you mentioned, uh, Buck Allen was out there. So even though Trey Madden wasn't there. So we got to see some guys, but still not a lot of scholarship skill players for these quarterbacks to throw to. And, and, and not being able to tackle, it seemed to set off the, put the rhythm off, I guess, a little bit for the whole scrimmage. No, it does. Plus, you know, when you're not throwing to your regular guys, it's uh, a little bit of a different effort. Uh, but, you know, you really gotta you really gotta work at that because there is that time where these kids might play, and you've got to really get that mentally into everybody's mind that if there is someone injured and someone has to step up and play, you've got to be able to make it happen. Uh, I just thought I I was I agree with you though. I think uh, Matt needed the reps. He had two or three series in there, uh, threw the ball. I think his timing was off a little bit. Uh, and I think it's due to not scrimmaging a lot. I think you have to be under the fire to be able to move around and anticipate the the, the rush and anticipate the, what's going to be your alternate reads. And when you're doing it, uh, when it's not really, and you don't have to worry about somebody knocking you down from the blind side or whatever, it's a different effort. So it was sort of slow motion in that type of sense of the word as far as uh, – 
the scrimmage itself. But I'm glad Matt got some turns. I, I think he needs some turns, and I think that next Saturday, and of course I want everybody to know this is just my opinion. I don't have any side or any insider knowledge of anything, but I think he needs to go several series, a lot of series next Saturday because that's your last touch of any type of real live uh, contact until the fall camp. And I think you got to leave with a positive attitude with your quarterback, with your receivers, with your first unit. You've got to come out of spring ball feeling good about it. And there's only one way to do it is line up and get after it. All right. Well, let's get to some of these questions, Coach. Um, the first one we have from uh, Sheila, it does have to do – with some of the quarterbacks, but one of the quarterbacks, but not one we've really mentioned a lot lately. Here's, uh, here's her question. Hey, Ryan. It seems as though everyone has come to a conclusion that Jesse Scroggins is no longer in the backup quarterback battle. So I was wondering if Coach Kiffin has said it is only Kessler and Wittick competing for that job, or do you think Scroggins will be back in the competition in fall camp? Well, you know, I agree with you. His name is not really mentioned much. And right now, uh, I don't think he's in the mix. And I don't uh, know anything specifically. I don't talk to the coaches. So, But I'm saying just as far as observing, uh, he's not uh, competing. He doesn't have the opportunity to get many turns. Uh, you don't read about him. So he's a quarterback on the roster, as others are. I think there's a lot of question marks uh, with uh, him academically, athletically, uh, playbook-wise, because who knows how good he really is, but we've never been able really to watch him play. An outstanding athlete, what's going to happen to him? I don't know. Is he going to get lost in the shuffle, especially in the fall when Max Brown comes in? So I think that's a good question, and I'm really interested to look and see and see if he really participates in this scrimmage on Saturday and what role he he will be. How many reps will he actually get? Because you get to a point where you've got to get your quarterbacks reps, but now you've got well, you're going to have four scholarship quarterbacks uh, when Max comes in, and you can't get reps for all those quarterbacks to be ready to play. So what you really try to do in the spring is to find out who is number two. And he becomes your backup. And, of course, when Max comes in, he'll be an early enrollee uh, next February or January, whenever that semester is. That's when the real competition is going to start because uh, Matt will be gone. So it's going to be really interesting. Right now, and I don't want to get any parent upset at me or whatever when I talk about Jesse here, but Right now, Jesse doesn't seem to be getting the turns. And to me, that doesn't indicate he's in the mix. Yeah, I mean, he's really being held out right now. Uh, he's kind of focusing on the academic side. Um, and he was coming back up from an injury as well. So it doesn't look like we're going to see him um, at all until the fall. So for Sheila's question, yeah, I mean, it. I think he can be in the mix. He's not in it right now, like Coach Harvey Hyde said. Um, he's got to, you know, work on himself more, uh, you know, grades and coming back from the injury. And, I, you know, I, he's definitely has the, the talent to be in the mix there. It's certainly set him back not being able to 
have a you know a dog in the fight as far as the spring football competition goes. It's all been Max Wittick and Cody Kessler throughout the entire spring. Uh, we do see him. He'll throw a couple of passes uh, in the warmups and stuff. We saw him on Saturday. Like he'd, he'd take a couple a couple reps just in the warmups, but wasn't taking part. He's not taking part in the scrimmage and stuff at all. Um, and we don't expect to see him again on Saturday. You know, if he gets his act together and everything comes, you know, and he, he's healthy and he gets the grades up, yeah, then in, in the fall camp he can start to to run into that competition again. And uh, Coach Max Brown won't be in until the following spring, so they got some time for him there because he, he'll be an early enrollee, but it'll be after this season and the following spring. Right. That's what I – I didn't uh, I didn't make that clear, but he won't be at, in fall camp. You're exactly right. Yeah. Um, so it'll be interesting to see. I mean, that was uh, – we actually – Coach, we called for some uh, female questions to come in. We had a couple this time and last week. Anyone, any females, if you want to um, send us a question over voicemail, we're going to send you a free T-shirt. So Sheila's going to get one sent out to her. Um, pretty cool. I like I like when girls call on the show, Coach. I do. They ask very intelligent questions. You know, sometimes people feel, oh, I'm not going to ask that question. That's embarrassing. Or someone else has asked that question. Hey, feel free to ask any question. All we do is give you what we think as the answer that we know. We won't tell you anything else that we don't know. And sometimes you'll, you'll even hear me say, I'm not aware of it. I don't know anything about it. And I can't uh, speak to it. So please uh, feel free any time to ask a question because there isn't a stupid question. No, and that was, that was a good one. We have another good one from a, another female caller. This one is from Ashley. Hi, my name is Ashley from Pennsylvania. I have a question about the defense. I keep reading that Antoine Woods has been with the first team instead of J.R. Tavai. Do you think this is a spring trial thing, or he's really earned that spot now? Also, do you think we'll still be as good against the run this year, losing our two starting D-tackles? I think they were underrated last year. Thanks, and fight on. Well, thank you very much, Ashley. I'll tell you, how did a Trojan get way back there? I mean... <laughs> I mean, hey, I'm glad you're listening. Uh, but uh, And then Penn State's having a pretty good recruiting year. So if you're a Penn State fan, too, if you're going to Penn State, uh, the new coach O'Brien's doing pretty good back there. But let's get to your question. Uh, Antoine Woods uh, has surprised everybody in the spring. He's surprised, I think, even Coach Orgeron. Uh, he surprised me. I watched him very closely on Saturday. He's moving around, and he's moved, I think, ahead of Tavai. Tavai's an outstanding player, played a lot last year, uh, not as big as Woods, and you really don't want a nose guard that's a physical guy that can hold your ground. George Uko, I don't have to tell you how good he is. He's, he's, I think he's a, a first-rounder in the near future. The run is going to be very important as far as stopping the run and forcing people to throw the ball against what I think is the top secondary in the country. Now, there are a lot of great secondaries in the country, and for me to make a statement like that, that might be way out. But I tell you, when I watch that secondary play and the speed and the toughness of that secondary on Saturday, I think Nikel Roby is turned into maybe one of the best corners in the country. I watch him lock on Lee. I watch him lock on some of these receivers. He's not the biggest in size, but that kid can really play. And if you remember, if you go back to the Notre Dame game a year ago, he took Floyd out of the game. He took him out of the game, and I think he's taking now receivers out of the game. He's doing a great job, and along with McDonald and Starling and, and Wiley. I can't believe what a great player Wiley has become since transferring in from junior college. He is a 
a force now. So I think the front is the key to next year's success is the defense. It always is anyway. You know that. You win in the trenches on offense and defense. And if Antoine can come through and Uko can come through and the rest of the guys up front, I expect and should see great years out of Kennard and Horton. Uh, I'd like to see that step up a bit. I know Horton's had a pretty good spring. I'd like to see Kennard pick up the pace a bit and do a little dominating. Uh, I think that that's the key of the defense for USC, the defensive front. That is especially the tackle position. They've got some good defensive ends. They've proven it. But I'd like to see them dominate a little bit more in the spring. And I'm going to watch them closely, closely in the spring game to see just how dominant they can be because you've got to be able to get forwards from the outside. You've got to be able to make the guy step up in the pack pocket and then come up, come into your defensive tackles rushing where you can get the sacks or when you have stunts to the inside, you force the quarterback in there where he can be, uh, say, captured. So, uh, yes, very good question. Woods has had, I think, a good spring. I think Coach O has even emphasized that and mentioned that in press conferences. So we'll see just how far he goes. And that's the first scholarship that Coach O offered when he came back to USC was Anton Woods from Taft High School. So he saw something in him. And, you know, USC, they've had some great 6'1", 300-pound tackles go into the NFL and have great careers at USC. So he certainly has that potential. Yeah, a great question by Ashley. Uh, she definitely knows her uh... – her football there, Coach, shows impressed. And I do think that the defensive tackles from last year are underrated a little bit. They're not getting a lot of uh, hype as far as the NFL draft goes. Like, they might get drafted, but probably in the later rounds. But it's going to be tough. I mean, that's the number one spot, I think, if you look at this team, where they got to replace someone. You're sure Matt Khalil, but I think they have enough bodies there. Just a lot of unproven young guys uh, in the middle of that defensive line. So it'll be, it'll be interesting to see how they play in game situations. Well, they've got to play bigger than what they are and faster than what they are. Remember, when you're young and you're, and, you, and, and when the adrenaline gets flowing, and you start to play at a different level. When you go against different colors, you, all of a sudden the, the whole thing's a different, different thing. You look at yourself in the mirror before you take the field. You work so hard. You know exactly what it means. So you give that effort that's necessary to be a champion. And SC's going to have to play at a different consistency and a and a, and a rate next year every week that's going to be unbelievable because they have a target on their back. They're everybody's bowl game. They're everybody's bowl game next year. No matter where they go, to East Rutherford, uh, to play Syracuse or Hawaii when they come here, everyone says that's our bowl game. If we can win that football game, then we've made our season. So they've got to get used to that. They're getting all this uh, preseason hype and so on, so they've got to put a little bit more – uh, sugar in their coffee. They've got to do whatever it takes to get themselves ready to play every week, every single week. You can't have a down down week. You've got to play good enough to win. All right. Well, thanks to uh, Sheila and Ashley for sending those questions. We're sending both of them a T-shirt. Our, our 75 are better than your 85 T-shirt, so check those out, and uh, they'll be sporting those proud, uh, hopefully, and they enjoy. But thanks again for sending those questions in. Uh, let's go to Mike, coach. He said, Aloha, Ryan. I'm a Notre Dame fan. Oh, we got a Notre Dame fan right in. Who loves and appreciates the classic historical rivalry between our two great schools. As much as I'm happy about getting Amir Carlisle, I must say that I'm scratching my head, too, over this ruling as well. You have the sympathy of at least this Irish fan when it comes to the NC2A. 
Mike, and he says, P.S., enjoy listening to Harvey Hyde. Well, thank you very much, and uh, I'm glad that uh, you like the Trojans if you are uh, an Irish fan. I'll tell you, there's a, but that means you're a football fan, and it is a great rivalry. I, we've discussed the Amir Carlisle situation before. I, you know, I feel bad the kid hurt his ankle. I really do. Uh, going back there because these are young people that uh, want to play, and and uh, he's not going to have that opportunity to go through spring football. But uh, he'll be ready to go in the fall. Uh, Notre Dame is having another great recruiting year. Just so I can touch on this with you, and I think the difference between Notre Dame and USC over the last several years has been the quarterback position. Uh, I think that uh, Notre Dame's quarterbacks haven't played to the ability of their publicity. And I think that that, that is one thing that Kelly's got to get going. SC has been able to uh, have that edge at that position, except for that one year, two years ago in the Coliseum, where I think the Trojans played the worst game uh, of the season. That, that was uh, that was not very good. And the rain back in, in SC, or, oh, I don't even talk about it. <laughs> I hate to remember those times. Okay, and you do too, Ryan, and all the listeners do too. But uh, yes, uh, I, we want to thank you for calling. I think it's going to be a great game, as it always is. And I think Kelly is bringing back the tradition, but he's really attracting a lot of great players. There's definitely a lot of uh, connection between the two schools, and uh, we certainly thank Mike for uh, writing in and, and listening to the podcast. Hopefully, he checks out our sister site. Uh, Irish Illustrated is over on the Rivals Network as well. They do a great job covering Notre Dame football. Um, but the the T. Shepard situation, Coach, we're going to talk. We have a question. We're going to talk to Gerard in the next segment about that. Gerard Martinez, our recruiting guy. But T. Shepard was the early enrollee that left Notre Dame after a couple of months, and there's some rumors he might come, you know, where, he, where he's going to end up. Is USC going to be able to take him? We'll talk to uh, Gerard about that. But there seems to be a lot of player interaction between the two schools. Manti Teo, everyone thought was going to be a Trojan, ends up going to the Irish. So the rivalry is great on the field, but also, you know, getting these, these players, getting the personnel there, there's some rivalries as well. Oh, there always is. These kids today, if you go to an SC scrimmage like Saturday, they're all on the sideline, the recruits. They all talk to each other. They all communicate all the time. They've been before when I played or coached in high school, our kids didn't communicate that often. We didn't have Nike camps. We didn't have summer camps. We didn't have passing leagues. We didn't have any of that. We had a lot of coaching clinics where the coaches went around and had coaching clinics all over the country. But our kids didn't have interaction with other players from different high schools. But today there's so many different passing leagues and things that go on and camps that these kids participate in as juniors and sophomores that they become really good friends. And they get to know each other, and they know they they really can read players' abilities. Believe me, I always used to say, and and I always used to say this: if I allowed my teammates, starting team or whoever the starting players are, to decide every starting position on the offense or defense except their own, they would pick the same players we did. They'll want the best players on the field if they were a starter on the field with them. So these players know and evaluate themselves when they go against each other, and they know if a player is faster or better than they do. So they already now evaluate, I don't think I'm going to go to that school because I already know before I have to make the decision that he's going to play before I play. So today it's a whole different thing. They email each other, they Twitter each other, they go to camps together, they become friends. 
So it's a whole different process in the recruiting than, than what it used to be. So uh, uh, it, it, it is. It is it's, it's a whole different package. All right, Coach. Well, thanks again, uh, Mike, for that question. We got one more, Coach. This is our friend Miguel, who he usually comes in with recruiting questions, but he's switching over now. He's going uh, with a team question for you. Hey, Ryan, it's Miguel. I got a question for Coach Harvey Hyde. I was never really a big fan of the move of Madden to a running back. Um, do you think that this injury could have been prevented if he stayed at linebacker? And can he uh, redshirt or get a medical redshirt for this year and still have a Three years of eligibility. Uh, thank you very much, and I'll fight on. Well, thank you very much. Uh, it's it's really uh, too bad he had his knee injury. That's uh, if you're an old running back out there or a coach, you, you know that the worst thing that can happen to a running back is have a knee injury. DJ Morgan's been fighting that now for two years and is now just finally surfacing back because running backs take great hits on their legs and their knees. I, I've been fortunate to have two great running backs. I mean, running backs, when I mention their names to you, you'll know who they are. Icky Woods played for me, and Terrell Davis played for me. And both of their careers ended with knee injuries. And once they got their knee injured, they couldn't come back. It was just, it was just too much. So on Madden's situation, I have no idea how bad his knee is or whatever it is. He could always go back and play linebacker, but he was—he's great linebacker. He's got—he's a great athlete. He's a great kid. He's all of the above. I've talked to his high school coaches and athletic director about him. He's just a, a superstar, and the way he was coming along, the way Lane Kiffin described him Sunday—that he was uh, reminded him of Lendell White. I said, "Wow, I'll tell you, that's a pretty good back." Yet, man's faster than Lendell White, so. He certainly was mastering the running back position. Now, Coach Kiffin also said that when he comes back in what it be the 2013 season, he's going to play him at running back. So I don't know right now if that what's going to happen. I think you have to see how his knee mends and and whatever. I would right now say that he would play if I was Coach Kiffin. I would say. We're going to play him where it's best for him in his future. And uh, uh, just for the, the eligibility, he played his true freshman last year. He played, uh, so it counted. he's a sophomore now. Uh, he still has a redshirt, so it's easy for him to to redshirt this season, and then he'll still have three years of eligibility. And uh, like you said, Coach Kiffin said he's going to come back and play running back. I don't know. I mean, there's some people talk about a coach where would he have been injured if he, he played linebacker? I mean, he wasn't hit. He was running and went down. So, I mean, I think you could do that if you were running as a linebacker. Uh, maybe you weren't cutting the same way, but if you're trying to chase someone, you certainly could be. But I I don't think the move to running back was the reason he was hurt. No, and I, and I don't want to say that, uh, you know, because if you remember way back I, a couple of weeks ago, I think I said, I don't think you move people to running back at USC. You find running backs at USC. That's why I'm saying now I think that what's going to happen Rather than to say he's going to be a running back, I think it's best to say, let's see how the running backs do at USC. Because they're in a recruiting process currently now where they'll probably sign two running backs. They've got Buck Allen, who is there and ready to prove himself. D.J. Morgan is ready to sign and play. Or, or D.J. Morgan now has come back, and he's ready to play. You've got Aguilar coming in, 
who I've seen on video. And I want everybody to understand this kid, I think, is a great player. So if you sign two great running backs, uh, Davis, uh, I think, is leaning sort of towards USC at this time. Uh, who knows what Isaac's doing and some of these other kids that you might not need to put Madden back and jeopardize his knee situation on offense. So I think it's best to say let's get him well and let's get him on the field where we need him. And I think that would open up also the recruiting process better and everything else because you don't really want to say you have all these running backs if you're recruiting running backs. So I think you do feel he's a great linebacker or you wouldn't start it in there. So I think it's best to say, let's see how the mending process is and let's put him where we need him. That sounds good, Coach. We'll see what happens there, everyone. Our hearts go out to Trey Madden and his family. We'll look forward to seeing him running the football a little bit. There's a lot of promise. And uh, short defenders have to wait a while, and then he'll come back after the surgery. We'll get more details on that. They haven't released very much on what kind of surgery, when it will be, and all that stuff. So we'll get that to you as soon as uh, it is released. But, uh, Coach, want to thank you very much for a great segment talking USC football and all the questions coming in. Uh, people love listening to you, and we lo- I love having you on the show. I really appreciate it. Well, thank you very much. And for all you listeners out there, we appreciate uh, you uh, listening, and uh, I'll see you out at the scrimmage on Saturday, and hope we have good weather. Yeah, hopefully, hopefully no rain, uh, but otherwise bring your umbrella, I guess. Uh, thanks again, Coach. I want to thank our sponsor, Southern California Tickets, and everyone else. Back in 30 seconds, we're going to talk some USC recruiting with USCFootball.com National Recruiting Analyst Gerard Martinez. Meet us on the other side of the break for more of the Peristyle Podcast. Tickets, tickets, tickets. SC Tickets is your concert, sports, and theater ticket source. We have the tickets you need to any event worldwide. Football tickets are now available. Call SC Tickets now at 1-800-888-7287. 1-800-888-7287. That's 1-800-888-7287. Or visit us on the web at sctickets.com. SC Tickets, concert, sports, and theater. We now return to the Peristyle Podcast and your host, Ryan Abraham. Welcome back to the Peristyle Podcast. We are joined by uscfootball.com. Recruiting analyst Gerard Martinez here to talk all about USC football recruiting. Hey, Gerard, what's going on? How are you doing? I'm doing well. Uh, Good to be back and back in a lesser form. Last week was a lot of rambling and a lot to get to as far as recruiting. Going to be a little more focused, this podcast. Less time, that means more focus. I like the focus part. And uh, we do have some questions to get to. Before we jump into that, I wanted to uh, get your thoughts on uh, Max Garcia, who was taking an official visit over the weekend to USC. We got to see him out at practice. Big dude wearing an Atlanta Braves hat and uh, had a in-and-out um, shake or drink or something in his hand. So they already took him in and out. So I think they're trying to work him in on that. And he was there on Saturday as well. Yeah, he actually hit in and out before he got to campus, which was kind of funny because uh, he put that on Twitter. And uh, he was very uh, he, he was very excited about that and enjoyed in and out quite a bit. And he enjoyed USC quite a bit uh, are the early returns that we've gotten. We're going to try to track him down. He's been a hard guy to get a hold of, uh, but originally from Norcross, Georgia. So that's where the, Bra- the Braves hat comes from. And a lot of people feel like Georgia is going to be the school to beat when he originally transferred 
out of Maryland, um, you know, he talked about being closer to home and really wanting to, to play closer to home and, and play somewhere where his family could watch him. And so that's really the one thing that USC's working against. It looks like everything else really shapes up really well for USC in terms of recruiting him, uh, playing time. You know, obviously USC has a real need for a true left tackle. They've been moving different guys around trying to get somebody there uh, that can work out that position, but really haven't found a guy that's really kind of made for that position. And uh, looking at Max Garcia, he's a guy that was a starter uh, as a sophomore and uh, really was a really good player for Maryland, one of their better players. And a lot of people, you know, USC fans are, are kind of wary about a transfer coming out, and, and you know, people are kind of like, well, what, you know, was there any issues with him coming out of Maryland? You know, were there any kind of, uh, you know, character issues or, or, or reasons why he left Maryland? You know, was he good enough? Was he just not playing? You know, why in the world would USC take a player from Maryland if he's not good enough? Uh, and, and they've got all these sanctions and they're dealing with these scholarship issues. Uh, but he was a very good player for Maryland. It just looks like Maryland is kind of suffering a, max, uh, a mass exodus at this point right now. They've had, uh, I don't know, six or seven guys transfer from that program. And it looked like uh, Randy Etzel is just kind of trying to bring in his guys and a new culture, and that's not necessarily mixing well with the current players. So uh, there was no issues that I know of. Uh, that uh, kind of led to Max uh, Garcia's transfer from Maryland other than he just wanted to kind of get a fresh start. And um, he's already taken official visits uh, to Georgia. He took an official visit to Ole Miss, and he took an official visit to Florida. So he has one more official visit on the other side of this USC visit. It sounds like USC went really well, but, again, we're just kind of waiting here, you know, how well it went. It sounds like he's going to make a decision sometime in the near future. He wants to get it done uh, before the end of April. So the end of April is coming up real quick. So we're going to have to see if uh, USC wowed him enough and if the, the opportunity, um, you know, with, with just uh, the playing time. And uh, I think he definitely liked Los Angeles. He knows Bryce Butler. I think one interesting thing about Bryce Butler is even though he wasn't necessarily getting the playing time he wanted at USC, he didn't go back to Georgia. You know, he stayed on the West Coast. He's going to San Diego State, and that kind of tells you a little bit of something that uh, he likes the West Coast. So maybe Max Garcia liked the West Coast enough, too, to be able to transfer out for USC. All right. Uh, let's go to the questions now. We have J.D. in D.C., and he's like, with Trey Mann out for the year, at least this year, running back, especially big running back, becomes critical. How do you compare Ty Isaac with Justin Davis? You know, they're really two different running backs. I think a lot of people look at Ty Isaac, and he's 6'3", 220 pounds, and they automatically think, well, this guy is a, an Eddie George uh, pounding type runner. But really, if you were to make a comparison with him on film, and I don't want to make a, a direct comparison or say he looks like this particular running back specifically, but to give you a little bit of a, a, a kind of a, a comparison among comparisons, I think he's more of an Eric. Dickerson than he is necessarily an Eddie George. I think he's more of a skilled kind of speed combo back than he is really a power back. And that's not to say that he can't necessarily put his shoulder down and bull somebody over, but I've talked to people that have watched him in person, and people really don't get the sense that he's necessarily a guy that mentality-wise is trying to just get his shoulder squared and run through people. Uh, he's got the height. He's legitimately a pretty big guy because we saw him on his unofficial visit a few weeks ago at USC standing next to Jabari Ruffin, and Jabari's uh, an easy 6'4 now. And, you know, Ty Isaac was right there with him in terms of height, and he's weighing, you know, about 220 pounds, so he's not necessarily a real slight guy. So you're looking at a guy that's got that size, but in terms of his 
you know, his attributes in terms of his running style and kind of the way he carries himself. He runs pretty small for a big guy, and he runs very skilled. So you're really looking at a player that, you know, good speed for size, gets in an open field, and I think he's very deceptive speed-wise because when you're that, I mean, when you're that tall, you know, you've got a really long stride, and that's kind of something that throws people off. He doesn't really seem to be moving as fast as he is. Um, so, you know, a lot of different kind of aspects – to him being a running back that don't necessarily go towards being a real kind of thunder, Lindell White, uh, I'm going to just you know run you over kind of power back. Whereas you've got Justin Davis, who's a workhorse. He's definitely more of that prototypical power back. I've compared him to Deshaun uh, Foster a lot, and he kind of reminds me of a Deshaun Foster, who's a guy that you know can get the edge, has that speed, has that ability to get the edge, but really is best when he puts his foot down and cuts up field and gets his shoulders squared. And, and he's another guy that also, in the open field, once he gets past that first wave of defenders, is really a lot more nifty and has better footwork and better balance and better agility than people probably give him credit for because he kind of looks more like a just straight-ahead type of bull-type rusher. But he's a guy that's going to play at 220, 225 easy, and I think he's going to be a little more your guy that's going to grind it out and get those tough yards. Uh, whereas Ty Isaac, I think, is a little more of a skilled guy that really you can use on those 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 quick pitches and those sweeps to the outside and really kind of uses his length uh, to get to that edge and then uh, you know kind of uh, deceive the defensive ends and the containment. And all of a sudden, the next thing you know, he's running up the sideline. So kind of more of a finesse runner, and I think a lot of people give him credit to. I think Justin Davis is the guy that's the power back of this class. Okay, uh, let's go to Terry in Los Angeles. Uh, he felt that uh, he read that T. Shepard planned to take a visit to USC for the spring game uh, and is taking a hard look at USC. I know he's highly touted coming out, but I'm not sure I want him after the signing day fiasco with his cousin and leaving Notre Dame. He seems way too immature. Have you or Gerard heard anything on this, and what's your opinions on this? Can USC afford to take a chance on him? Yeah, it's something that I've alluded to a little bit when the talk of him transferring first came about, and, and I agree with that. I think there's some things that, uh, you know, off the field that USC kind of has to figure out with him uh, beyond just is he a good football player. Now, obviously, you know, these transfers, um, there's a lot that goes into it strategy-wise in terms of trying to bolster your numbers and, you know, make sure that uh, you're, you're, you're trying to get the most out of the 75 uh, that they're dealt with. Uh, but, yeah, you do have to also look at the other part of it, which is chemistry-wise. And you're bringing in a player, um, is he going to be good for the pro- program overall? Is he a good fit you know, on the field and off the field? And I think what T. Shepard is interesting because he's uh, evidently officially visited Washington State. He was at UCLA as well. Not sure if that was an official visit or not, but uh, last week, uh, at the end of last week, evidently he was at UCLA. From what I understand, USC has not been able to really be in contact with him at this point. So we're going to kind of have to see how that plays out. I don't know if it's because, you know, maybe Notre Dame put some restrictions on where he could go and there's some things that he has to get through paperwork-wise. You know, obviously if he's going to sit out a year, then he's going to sit out a year. So he can pretty much go wherever he wants. And Notre Dame, obviously, there's no conference there. There's no conference rules. Um, but uh, so, so, so there's kind of some hiccups and some, some things going on there that uh, it's not just a clear path for USC and, and going to USC. Um, you know, there's going to be some things that are going to have to change. And uh, I don't know if it's just quite such a done deal. And, and then once it gets to that point where USC can talk to him and there is, you know, some back and forth and some communication, 
um, they do have to kind of self-evaluate and figure out, you know, do we really have a place for him? Is he a guy that we really want? You know, there's going to have to be at some point that sit down with team uh, T Shepard and, uh, you know, Pat Hayden and, and really kind of hammering out, you know, Hey, look at this is kind of what happened through the recruiting process. Kind of give us some insight as to, you know, what was going on in your head and kind of how this played out and trying to get a better feeling from that because definitely I think USC got strung out a little bit with him towards the end of the recruiting process. Between he and Deontay Greenberry, I think there was a lot going on. USC wanted to get him in as an early enrollee. It was kind of a big deal for them, and he kept kind of going back and forth. And uh, from what I understand, it was a lot of cat and mouse, and, you know, he was going underground, and they weren't hearing from him, and then he'd pop up in and, and some article somewhere saying, yeah, I'm really looking at USC still, and I'm not really sure what I'm going to do. And uh, this was coinciding, obviously, with the Shaq Thompson uh, stuff that was coming out with you know him talking about USC and trying to drum up all this drama about USC and when everybody knew he was going to Cal anyway. So it seemed like there was a handful of players towards the end of the recruiting process last year in late January that were definitely playing up the drama and playing games with some of these coaches. And, you know, it's one thing if I had advice for any recruits out there, it's always be straight up with the coaches because these are guys that you might see later on in life. Uh, if you're blessed enough to be able to play on Sundays, uh, you're going to be, you know, watching, uh, you know, the NFL draft from home and you're going to be hoping that phone rings and that, that draft pick that comes up might be a coach that you screwed with in the recruiting process. It's going to come back to bite you. So it's one of those things that, uh, you know, I think some of the shenanigans that went on in the end of last year, um, yeah, it might be something that comes back to bite some of these recruits later on in life. All right. Uh, thanks for that one, Terry. Let's go to voicemail. We have a voicemail question. This one is uh, coming from Bob. Hi, Ryan. This is Bob from Chicago, and I am wondering if we might be seeing a pattern this year with the early commitment of Max Brown. SC just finished a recruiting cycle by bringing in a highly tutored offensive line class and already have an early commitment from a top-ranked quarterback from the next class. In 2008, SC also brought in an exceptional group of offensive linemen, including Khalil, Smith, and Holmes which was followed by the early commitment from another top high school quarterback, Matt Barkley. This seems more like a coincidence, but how much do you think these two quarterbacks are actually considering this as a factor? I think it's definitely a factor. And really, you know, it's, it is that trend of a program on the rise and being able to, you know, first and foremost, win some games. And that's what you have to do on the field. Everybody gets enamored with recruiting and what's going to happen next. And, oh, you know, this is going to be a great run. But at the end of the day, you have to put it together on the field because we've seen those programs profess uh, during the recruiting process that they are the next USC. And I remember when Arizona was the next USC and then Washington was the next USC and then UCLA was the next USC. Everybody was going to do what USC had done with Pete Carroll and it never came to fruition. So I think you have to win on the field. USC did that last year. And then they put together a strong class, and they've continued to put together strong classes. I think it's it's really easy to, to kind of see the trends because with USC, they've never really recruited bad. You know, they've had some good staffs in terms of recruiting. And, you know, USC is a school that definitely, if you can win some games and you've got some good coaching, there's a lot of factors that play in to, you know, bringing a kid on a recruit, uh, an official visit and showing them around L.A. and you have the tradition and you have the weather and you have the girls and you have everything that kind of lines up that uh, helps recruit for itself. And so it's one of those things that, yeah, you try to get ahead. 
the, the quarterbacks are always those guys that you want to get a hit on and you want to bring those guys in early and you want to be able to bring in a guy that's kind of a marquee guy in an individual class. Now, the one thing that's going to be interesting with this particular situation, you talked about Matt Barkley coming in. Now, Matt Barkley was kind of a lone wolf and he was coming into a situation where you didn't necessarily know what was going to happen with Mark Sanchez but he was the guy in that class and he helped recruit that class. He helped be, you know, really definitely kind of a cornerstone of that 2009 recruiting class with Max Brown. While he's going to be that, there's still a little bit of question as to, is he going to be the only guy? Is this going to be Matt Barkley standalone comes in is a, you know, guy that competes right away uh, his freshman year for, for playing time. Uh, you know, he'll be going head to head with, you know, whoever's left, either the, you know, Scroggins sticks around or it's going to be Kessler and Wittick. But considering that, you know, one of those guys might transfer, if all of a sudden, you know, one of those guys feel like, Hey, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to be the guy here. You know, am I going to stick around when the, the starter is going to be also a redshirt sophomore? So you've got Wittick and Kessler, and we've talked about this a little bit. If one of those guys leaves, all of a sudden you're down to one quarterback on the roster if Scroggins leaves too, which you would have to imagine, you know, given everything that Scroggins has gone through. And then, you know, the, the redshirt sophomore is going to be named a starter. Scroggins is probably gone too. Then USC has to start looking at, well, maybe Max Brown isn't going to be the only guy that we bring into this class. And that's where guys like Johnny Stanton have come, you know, into the debate is, you know, maybe they have to make it more of like a little bit of a Kessler-Wittick type situation where you have a couple guys where, because you just need the numbers. You know, you can't have two guys, <laughs> two scholarship players as quarterbacks on the roster. You need at least three. So that's going to be interesting. We're going to see how this shakes out. We're going to see how Lane Kiffin plays it. You know, it's definitely, again, it's just another example of the sanctions and the limitations and them trying to get, you know, the most out of less. And they've done a good job to this point strategy-wise. So we're going to see how this kind of comes out. Because obviously the quarterback position, if that's a position where you lack talent or you have issues uh, because of an injury or something happens, it affects your program all the way around. I mean, you could have good offensive lines and good this and good that. But if you don't have a good quarterback, especially in this league, the Pac-12, you're really going to suffer and your offense is going to suffer and it's going to be difficult to win those big games. So we're going to see how it plays out. But, you know, obviously, yeah, there's always those kind of trends that you see um, going along. And with USC, uh, they're, they're a little easier to happen because the school kind of recruits itself. Okay. Uh, we had one other one from JD in DC. It was like a follow-up to the running back situation. He said, if uh, Ty Isaac is cooling on USC – saying that SC is not on his official visit list right now, then clearly that clearly makes Justin Davis number one priority. But uh, who do you think is third on Kennedy Palomalu's target list at this point uh, at running back? Well, it's tough. I can't speak for Coach Palomalu himself. I, I think that the one guy that uh, for me is the elephant in the room is, is Craig Lee. I think he's the guy that for me on film looks like a great combination for whatever power back you're bringing in. And I think that's the name that you kind of have to go and, 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 and get him, offer him, get him in the program. He's already got offers from UCLA and Washington. He's, you know, probably going to have some schools there that are going to make him think, but, um, you know, saw him a little bit at the Nike camp. He's, uh, you know, he's a good five eleven, six foot, 185 pounds, 190 pounds, uh, at least, and um, he's a guy that's, you know, very fast. I mean, there's, there's the talk from his camp is that he's in the 10-8 range. 
You know, I haven't seen any official times of him running the 10-8, but you watch him on film, and he definitely looks 10-8. I mean, he's running away from people. He's played against some good competition, and he's made guys look really bad. I mean, he had an 84-yard touchdown run against Redlands East Valley in the game that I saw, and it was just, you know, it's kind of the only thing he really did that was one of those kind of eye-popping things. But, you know, you have to look in hindsight. That's a really good defense that he was playing against, and he popped that big run, and that's really what USC is looking for also. We talk about the power backs, but we're also talking about the guy who can finish. And I think that's a guy that's in state that might be your finisher. So he's definitely high on the board. I think Craig Bryan is a guy that just committed to Oklahoma. If he comes out to USC during the summer, he's still going to give USC a long look. I mean, he's been a USC fan for a long time, and I think the Oklahoma commitment is just going to be one of those things that's going to dangle there for quite a while. He could maybe make multiple commitments to multiple schools before it's over. Um, You've got quite a few guys that are on that list right now that are possibles for USC. We just put out the offensive and defensive target list for 2013. So definitely check those out because there's a lot of options there. There's a lot of guys there that USC is going to be recruiting. I think with Ty Isaac – you know, there's a little bit of something that we put in the war room that was some good news about Ty Isaac, and we're going to see how that plays out. That might be uh, pretty significant for USC and, um, you know, getting away from the talk of official visits because the truth is Ty Isaac could make a commitment before he takes any official visits, and he's a guy that's trying to get out early. So we'll see what, what shakes out with Ty Isaac, and he's definitely going to be a big part of what happens with the recruiting class because he's a guy that is, like I said, an early enrollee, all of a sudden that changes your numbers on early enrollees and, and, you know, that kind of those three guys that they're trying to bring in for that so they can bolster their numbers to 18 and not just 15. And obviously he's a big guy that's, you know, a marquee name that, uh, you know, you have to try to kind of recruit around as well with recruit with because you bring him in, then you have to try to bring in Justin Davis too. You have to show them, that, you know, define their, 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 their plans, their the blueprint for them both being successful at USC. And then if you're trying to bring in three guys, you have to do that again too. So, you know, bring in those stack classes where you're trying to get multiple running backs, multiple quarterbacks, multiple receivers, however it is, you always have to be very careful about that because guys are looking over their shoulder and looking at, you know, who they're going to be competing against in that class. Okay. Uh, let's see. Last one. We have uh, Brent from Pasadena. It's a little confusing. He's a uh, long-time listener, long-time and faithful listener, so thank, very, thank you very much for listening, Brent. Um, I'll, I'll read the question, and then Gerard and I can kind of explain, hopefully explain what's going on here. He says, I think I understand, I understand the yearly restrictions on recruiting for the program. My question is, what will the roster look like once the sh- sanctions are lifted? And I think it's a fair question. A lot of people have been looking about that. He says, when the first 15 go into their senior year, it seems that the max number before incoming freshmen would be 45. Adding a max class of 25 would push the roster up to 70, which is lower than the sanctioned number of 75. Am I looking at this the right way? If so, what are some of the strategies for dealing with reduced amount of players? Well, the first, the first problem that you have is, he said, I think I understand the yearly restrictions on recruiting, yeah. <laughs> which I don't know if anybody really does. We study this <laughs> all the time. Outside of maybe yeah. you know, a handful of guys in Heritage Hall. Uh, it's really hard to wrap your head around you know, just next year and, and some of these things that pop up where it's, you know, we were originally told that, you know, USC could not overlap the, the number for, for, you know, the sanctioned 15 and, and couldn't bring in early rollies to pad the number. Then all of a sudden we were told, yeah, oh, no, actually they can. I know something that's also been of a lot of confusion is the transfer. 
had uh, how that transfer that you know whatever be Josh Shaw or maybe a guy like Max Garcia coming in affects the number of yearly scholarships and the limitations on that. And I know that I think even our own Dan Weber has talked about it. And we the last that we got from compliance was that it is a number that affects the yearly. Uh, sanction number, but it's a number that can kind of go either way. Josh Shaw, does he count towards the early enrollees for 2013, or does he count back towards 2012? He, but he has to count towards one of those years. It's not just the overall 75. Uh, so we get different information sometimes from compliance and from sources that we have at USC as to how these numbers all shake out. So it's difficult to understand. Um, I think at least from what, well, to break it down as best as we can, I, I guess just you know off the cuff here, the class of 2011 is the class that they brought in 30 guys. Uh, so they have you know which will be in 2015 there'll be 30 seniors that they'll have on the roster. Then 2012 they brought in 20. So you have to remember that they actually signed 20 in that class. Uh, including, you know, Josh Shaw and the early enrollees, you know, obviously it's dependent upon how many guys that actually get in and, and are enrolled on campus, you know, Gerald Bowman. You have a couple guys there that maybe are some question marks with academics. We'll kind of see how that call shakes out. But just at face value right now, we'll say, you know, they signed 20 guys. And I think that's the important thing. I think this is where the number, at least what I'm hearing is 70 uh, for him, might, his math might be off just because you have to remember that these this 15, 15, and 15 is not really 15, 15, and 15. It's already 20, and then the class of 2013, from what we understand, is going to be 18 at least is what we're hearing right now. So you can bring in 18 guys because you can overlap three that didn't sign for the class of 2012. Are you with us still? <laughs> so you've got the 30, Bueller. the 20, the 18, and just to make it simple, the class of 2014, let's just say it's a 15, you know, straight across. And like you, we just said, it could change. There could be some weird thing that they're able to bring in an extra guy or there's some overlap number or something, but let's just say it's 15. So that right there, all of a sudden you've got 83 guys on the roster right there coming out of the sanctions um, by that math. Now, if you've got that, you know, class of uh, 2011, those 30 that they padded up, um, you know, that was that year going into the sanctions where they brought in, you know, just an uh, overabundance amount of guys trying to get the roster number up because they were so low. Uh, if you've got that class graduating and you bring in your full 25, that's still 78. So, and the full 25 is going to have to be 25 because you assume they're not going to be able to really overlap a whole lot. Um, because you obviously you're, you're doing your 15 and 15 thing. And so they've got their, you know, like I said, the class of 2013 is actually going to be 18 is what we, we think right now. Um, it could be, you know, less than that though. I mean, it could end up being 15 and then maybe the class of 2014 ends up being, you know, 18 or something because there's, you know, they bring in the early enrollees and maybe they don't sign three for the class of 2013. Again, it's very confusing. You almost have to write it out and kind of try to look at it long term. And there's so many different things with red shirts and these transfers. A guy like Max Garcia, that can you know obviously change the overall number. All these type of things can definitely affect it. I don't think they're going to be as low as 70. I think they'll be higher than that, definitely. I think you're going to be more closer to 80. I'll probably be the number where they're at. And, again, it is strategy. It's, it's, there's a lot of different things that you, you can do. I think there's a lot of different things that USC has done at this point to try to keep the number up. But, you know, definitely coming out of the sanctions, 
even though they're not under sanctions anymore from scholarship standpoint, there's still going to be, you know, that those repercussions, kind of the, you know, the after effect, the shockwave of the sanctions and, and the limited numbers. USC has to be right coming out on the back end of that, and that's going to be difficult as well. So that may take, you know, a couple years, but it doesn't look like they're going to be in dire straits coming out of the sanctions. No, and I agree, Gerard. Now, I, it's confusing, and if you want to look it up, I mean, the best thing you can do, uh, go to uscfootball.com, and there's that yellow bar kind of across the top under the logo. Under more, it'll say scholarship distribution chart. It's actually on the front page as well under the big picture. You should see a, a link to the scholarship distribution chart. That's a good way to go. I think we need to update it. There's a couple guys that have switched positions, but the numbers in the class are correct right now. And I think the main thing you want to know is right now, knowing there's two more years of scholarships sanctions, if there was 30 seniors, that's tough to replace. If there was 30 juniors, that's tough to replace. There's 14 seniors and 13 juniors. So that's reasonable to replace. You can get 15. You can at least replace what you're losing. Now, it you know, does Robert Woods leave early? I mean, there's a lot of things that can happen. Guys can leave early and things like that. Uh, you know, will Marquis Lee leave early following next year? I mean, so much stuff that you can kind of go into. But the, the basic numbers are the junior and senior classes, there are going to be two more sanctioned uh, classes come the next two Februaries. You can get 15, like Gerard said, 18 in this next one because three early enrollees. That number isn't very big. So if it was a big number, that's tough to recover from. And the 30 as a freshman the 30 in the freshman class, a bunch of those guys will redshirt as well and kind of distribute it backwards. So I think and right that, now... And that bunch of guys overlaps with the class that they're able to bring in as freshmen. So you're able to still bring in a pretty big full class of freshmen that year. And so while, you know, spring ball, you're going to be down, but, you know, that kind of happens every year where, I mean, we're seeing it even now, spring ball, you know, they're down in certain numbers, so it makes it harder. you got a couple guys injured and all of a sudden, you know, there's a position there that you're really not able to practice and, and run through drills a whole lot. Uh, but they're, they are that next fall able to bring in that full class of 25, which really helps. And that was really strategy-wise, it seems, that's where Lane Kiffin was already looking ahead. That's why he went so big for that class going into the sanctions. You know, they really doubled up on those numbers, and a lot of people were like, wow, why are you doing this? Why don't you spread it out a little more? But it's clear as to why, because that number is – you're able to overlap and you're able to get some of those guys back by that incoming signing class of uh, 2015. Yeah, and, and I think when we harp on the fact that Lane Kiffin can't miss on guys, it's not necessarily for right now. It's kind of for down the road where if you lose – you only sign 15 guys – and if you lose like three of them to like academics or something, well, now those numbers are basically it's like adding those guys to your senior class because there's three more guys that you would have had on the roster for a while. Now you can't really replace them. So that's another part of the thing. It's good to see those numbers higher on the freshman and, and sophomore classes. But if you start losing those guys, then it hurts you because then you're basically adding it to the senior year. So, Gerard, it's probably, I mean, one of the main reasons why we've talked about it. You can't really miss on guys. If you lose them, it's just tough to replace. Definitely, yeah. I mean, you, you are locked in with that, that 15 number per year, and like we said, you can pad it up a little bit with early enrollees and whatnot, but it's pretty difficult to be able to get the number back. The only real, you know, kind of immediate right away type of uh, relief that you can get is a transfer. But as we said, that transfer number still is affecting some number of your class. 
you know, per class. It has to count towards some class. At least that's what we were told, you know, when Josh Shaw was coming in. It was originally thought, you know, I'd heard from a couple different people, uh, coaches that thought, oh, yeah, you know, it just counts towards the overall 75. It doesn't count towards a specific year. But the latest we heard from compliance is it does count towards a specific year. You do have some, uh, somewhat of an option because they're usually coming in at a weird time where they could be an early enrollee or they could count towards, you know, the, the latter class that you're, you're signing that's going to come in that fall, but it still has to come in a year. So even though it's, it's not, you have some, some, some wiggle room there because you can, you can use one of the classes that, that you go, okay, we didn't sign a full class here or we had some room here. Um, you're still with your USC dealing with a 15 and a 15. Uh, so it's, it makes it a little more difficult, but um, yeah, it's, it's confusing and, there's been a lot of things that have happened along the way that, you know, you get the impression kind of, you know, USC's had to learn and kind of figure out the loopholes, but they've done a really good job. I mean, I think the good thing at this point thus far is that we certainly haven't been ahead of the curve of, hey, this is what they should do, and they haven't done it, and it's come back to bite them. We've been on the backside of, well, we think they should probably do this and do that, and then they've done something and it's been like, yeah, 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 see, that's why it worked. <laughs> so, I mean, it shows you that the coaching staff uh, is on top of things and, uh, you know, the administration is on top of things, and they've definitely thought through the numbers, and it's worked out for them. So, you know, there's always those questions. I mean, Max Garcia is a good example of, you know, when we put out the news that he was coming to officially visit USC, there were some people that were thinking, ugh, you know, do you really want this? I mean, with sanction numbers and, and what have you, but you have to know that somewhere along the line, if USC's bringing a guy now in on an official visit and they want him and they're obviously recruiting him hard, they feel like there's a place for him. So you have to go, okay, there's a reason for it. You know, they definitely feel like that's a guy they can get in. It's a number that's going to last. Uh, he's a good player, and uh, it's it's probably not a waste. All right, Gerard. Well, we appreciate you coming on and, answering all the questions and hopefully we made that cleared up a little bit. I know there's a lot of uh, stuff going on as far as the scholarship sanctions and, and all the different rules. We've talked to compliance. We've talked to everybody trying to find out what's going on. So I think we have it, a better grasp on it than just about everyone out there, but there's still some confusing aspects, but thanks again, Gerard, for uh, sharing your thoughts and uh, trying to make light of, of, you know, shed some light on this situation. No problem. Thank you for having me once again. And I'll see you guys, I guess, Maybe next week might be a Trojan blast. Maybe the week after. We've got May evaluations coming up pretty soon, so I'm sure there's going to be a lot of questions coming about that, and uh, we'll see if uh, some uh, new scholarship offers go out or there's some new commitments here in the near future. All right. Well, thanks again, Gerard, and everyone else. Thank you very much for tuning in. Like Gerard said, we'll talk to him next week, either on the podcast or during a Trojan blast. But thank you very much for sending in the questions, and we'll talk to you all next week. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. And don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your iPod or MP3 player for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store. 